welcome you to Crossroads. We are excited that you're here. Today is week four of our series, I Quit. It's the final week of this very short four-week series. Most of our series are like five or six weeks. This one's a little short. Uh, today is the final week, and it's really kind of interesting. I want to wake, uh, before I dive into it, I want to welcome those who are joining us online. That's Facebook Live. Lots of people gone today. Let me tell you, it was a difficult day trying to staff and to volunteer uh, get all the volunteer positions filled today because people are taking advantage of the official summer break and we have lots of people I know in Florida lots of people in Disney so for all those across America watching us online we welcome you and we also want to ask you to do th this and I'm going to ask you in the house to do this as well uh, if you're a Facebook person and you can go to the Crossroads Facebook page and you can take this feed of today's service and share it to your personal Facebook page that just helps us and I say that every week it helps us expand the reach of Crossroads and the worship and the word that people are receiving here and we want to do that so let me encourage you to do that now you can also do it later this week you can share it later today you can share it later this week and again anytime anybody's, anybody's interacting with you and fighting with you on Facebook about things that they don't like you they don't think the same as you do <laughs> maybe they'll see our message there and God will speak to them and calm them down so let me welcome you we're excited that you're here uh, it's really interesting because even though I kind of knew where I was going today uh, I typically will outline a series and I kind of say, well, I'm going to talk about this, and I'm going to talk about this, and I'm going to talk about this. And all that's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what God is speaking, what God is directing. And we've been known to stop a series and interrupt a series and go in a different direction. That's not uncommon. But this past week, I was actually going through some of my notes, knowing today what I was going to talk about. And I ran across something that really kind of prompted me. It's probably the overarching or the underlying reason that I'm going to be talking about most of what I'm going to be talking about today. Because you may or you may not know that there is a command in Scripture. And in the Bible, in Scripture, we see this command more than we see anything else. Uh, it, it's really kind of interesting because God says this repeatedly more than he says anything else. It's the most repeated instruction from God in the entire Bible. And the interesting thing is this. It's just two words. The thing that God commands more than anything else are these two words that you see behind me. Fear not. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, the command from Scripture to you as a human being and to me as a human being more than anything else is simply to fear not. Now, 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 take a minute and think about that. It's the most commanded thing that God says. It's, repeatedly, it's, it's the thing that he says the most in all of Scripture. And, it, and if that's the thing that God says more than anything else, if that's the thing he's commanding to me and to you, the question I have this morning is, why? I want you to think about that. Why does God command us not to fear? Why does God feel like he has to command us over and over again, those two words, fear not? Why does he have to command us not to fear? And as I thought about the question that I think you see behind me, I, I, I really took the time to, to think about that. Because when I think about fear, I, I really don't see fear as 
a vice. Is that understandable? A vice that I deal with. As a human being, I don't see that it's a, it's a vice that causes me a lot of trouble. It, it's not the worst thing that I think in my mind that humans being deal, human beings deal with. So why does God tell human beings to stop being afraid more than he tells us anything else? And I'm going to tell you what my hunch is. My hunch is this. The reason that God says fear not more than anything else is because God realizes that fear is the number one reason that human beings are actually tempted to avoid doing the very things that God asked them to do. The one thing that keeps us from, what, from doing the things that God truly asks and wants us to do, the one thing that will keep you from doing what God has for you in your life, that one thing is fear. And that's the very reason that God commands it more than anything else. Fear not. I looked in the, the New Testament, the Gospels, and Jesus even makes that statement in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can correct me after the service, or you can send me an email or a text message this week and tell me I was wrong. But I think in those four Gospels, Jesus says, don't be afraid, at least 15 times in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I know right now, because of what we've been through the last 14 months, and because of what's in front of us, I mean, there, there's a lot of fear. If there's anything that's actually occupying the minds of most of us in this room and those listening online and watching online, it's fear. It's uncertainty. And, and since this series is about quitting things, then you have to realize that when we talk about quitting fear, there are actually, in my opinion, two ways for us to quit fear. If you actually want to quit fear, and again, this is my opinion, just like that hunch why God says, quit, you know, do not be afraid more than anything else or fear not more than anything else. In my opinion, there are two ways that you can quit fear. If you really want to quit fear, you either have to change your external world or you have to change your inner world. If you want to quit fear, you have to change your external circumstances or you have to change your internal being. It's about changing the external. It's about changing the internal. If you're going to quit fear, you have to change your external world or you have to change your inner world. And again, I knew in the first service, I was like, you know, this is the place that I'm probably going to lose some people. So I want to help you understand when I talk about if you're going to quit fear, you're going to have to change the external or you're going to have to change the inner. I, I want to give you an insight into what I mean when I say changing the external. To change your external world so there is no circumstances left to bring about fear in your life. 
then actually in your mind, that's going to be something that I call fear avoidance. You're going to not take a risk. You're never going to step out. You're never going to do anything unusual. If you're going to change your external world and go into what I call fear avoidance mode, you're never going to learn, try to learn anything new. You're never going to move out of places where you're comfortable because that's one way that you can quit fear. Change your external world. Don't let yourself be in places and in circumstances that cause you fear. That's one way to quit fear. The other way to quit fear is to change your inner world. You see, see, the goal is not a fear-free life. The goal is not a fear-free life. In, in fact, here's the thing I want you to hear me say. You'll never have a fear-free life if your primary goal is to have a fear-free life. Because God is not a means of fear avoidance. Look with me at John 14. This is one of those verses that most of us have heard many times throughout our lives. I grew up in the Baptist church. I'm thankful for the Baptist church. I'm thankful for the foundation. But I've heard this spoken on and preached on and dissected a million times. And here's what it says in John chapter 14, verse 1. And this is Jesus speaking. And here's what Jesus says. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Now, we're, we're going to leave that up there because I want you to look at that. I want you to really kind of sit in that, and I want you to marinate in that. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And as you're reading that behind me, when you realize that, or when you read that, you realize that, that the focus is actually not on fear. It's not on how can I live my life and fear less. That's not what Jesus is focusing on. That's not what he's focusing on at all. But instead, the focus on that verse or of that verse is actually trust. How can I live my life in spite of what might be happening to me? How can I move forward, take that step of faith? How can I step out of my comfort zone and actually trust God more? It's not fear less, it's trust more. How can I trust God more? Because all of this really comes down to something basic. It's so basic. And it, and it really strikes every one of us in this room, those watching and listening online, it strikes all of us. Let me, let, let, me, let me tell you this morning. You don't have a fear problem. I don't care what you say. You don't have a fear problem. You have a faith problem. You have a faith problem. It's not a fear problem. It's a faith problem. As I was preparing for today, I was thinking about biblical stories. And 
as I've thought about numerous stories from Scripture. And, you know, here's the thing. I realize that some people think that, you know, the Bible's not real, the stories are not real, that, you know, they're uh, metaphorical, they're allegorical, they're all of those kind of things. I'm just going to tell you where I stand. It's real. Noah was real. Jonah was real. The fish was real. uh, Again, here's the thing. You can believe whatever you want to, but here's the thing. Here's the thing that I noticed about the stories, regardless of what you think about the stories. The, The thing that I have noticed about the story is with most every story in Scripture, there is what I call a very common storyline. And the common storyline is this. God gives somebody a dream. God God gives somebody something to do. But what God gives them to do, the dream, the calling, that, that thing that God has placed in front of them that he has called them, laid on their heart to do, that thing that God has given them calls them out of their comfort zone. And at that point, they're either paralyzed by fear, which is self-reliance. I don't think I can do it. I don't think I'm, I'm worthy of doing this. Or they move forward in faith. Believing that even though they've been called to do this by God, even though they are going to have to step out of their comfort zone, they take that step of faith, trusting God will meet the needs that they have because of the call that he's given them. It's either self-reliant or God-reliant. It's fear or faith. It's fear or trust. That's the common story storyline that I see in Scripture. God gives someone a dream. The dream requires they leave their comfort zone. They're paralyzed by fear or they move forward in faith. Now, let me tell you what your problem is. It's the same problem that's my problem. You and I are surrounded by people who are speaking into your life and telling you, you know what, you're not ready, you're not qualified. You have people speaking into your life that says, you know what, you're not ready, you're, you're not qualified when it comes to the things that you believe that God has calling, is calling you to do or has called you to do. Many of us surround ourselves with the people who I would call the negative Nazis, the, 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 the naysayers, the people who park in the comment sections of most of your social media feeds. You have people speaking into your life saying, you know what, that, 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 that'll never work. That, that, you're not qualified. You remember what you did last night? You remember what you did two years ago? You remember that second marriage? And you're on your third or fourth marriage? And they're speaking negativity into your life? We surround ourselves with those kind of people. No, let, let, me, let me stop here. And let me say this. Today's message is for everyone. It's every one of you. It's every one of you watching online and listening online. 
But I want to take just a moment and speak to those of you who, who have the gift of vision. I want to speak to those of you who have the gift of passion. Again, the message is for everybody, but if you feel like God has gifted you with the gift of vision and the gift of passion, then I, I want to speak specifically to you because here's the thing. I'm one of those people who has been given the gift of vision and passion. And when I think about the gift of vision and passion, I just want you to hear me and I want you to accept me and what I'm going to say. Even though God has gifted me that way, I sometimes feel like those two gifts are burdens. Can anybody relate to me? There are oftentimes, having been gifted with the gift of vision and the gift of passion, there are times that I feel like it's a burden. They feel more like burdens than they actually feel like gifts. And the reason those two gifts can feel like burdens is because if you've been gifted with vision and you've been gifted with, with passion, I want you to understand. I want you to understand because you're in good company, there are oftentimes going to be challenges that come with the gift of vision and passion. You're going to experience challenges as you try to exercise the gifts that God has given you. Let me expound on those two gifts. Vision, when I talk about the gift of vision, here's what that means. Vision means, somebody needs to write this down because you, you need this. You're going to need this in the future. Vision means that you have been gifted in a way that you can see things that other people can't see. Write it down. Vision means that you have been gifted in a way by God to be able to see things that other people, the people in your circle of influence, your friends, the people you hang out with, that you go to eat with, you've been gifted in a way where you can see things that other people can't see. Vision means before things exist, you can see them. Which means you're going to run into people who can't see what you see. And because they can't see what you see, you know what they do? They tell you it's wrong. Or they tell you it's impossible. And most of you have heard me say this. When God gifted me with this, or when God gifted me with the gift of vision and gave me the vision for this church so many years ago, when he placed this, this birth, this crazy dream in my heart, he gave me a vision for exactly how it would happen and exactly what it was going to look like. And let me tell you what would happen. Anytime I would talk about the vision that God had given me for Crossroads, when I would mention that to people, let, 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 me, let, me, let me go back here. Initially, God gave me the vision and God said, don't open your mouth. Don't talk about it. And you know why I believe God said don't talk about it? It's because he knew that there was an assault coming my direction. And he wanted to build in me and do things in me that would give me the energy and increase the passion that I would need to take 
the onslaught of the negativity that would come from people who, when I got permission from God to actually cast the vision, those people would say, no, you're, you're not qualified. Do most of you know what I did? I used to sell beer and cigarettes to some of you. That just shows you God has a sense of humor. Amen? Amen. I mean, I, I, used to say, I used to own convenience stores. And, and, and I, I mean, I used to be in the convenience store business. And let me, just, let me just tell you, for those that didn't know, I mean, I came out of that business. And there was a season of my life where I didn't go to church at all. I was raised in the church, called to be a, a pastor in the church, left the church for 24 years. 17 of those years, I didn't even attend a church. I could tell you the dirtiest joke and say the dirtiest words across the counter of my convenience store. God has a sense of humor. One day I said to God, I said, God, okay, so this is what you're calling me to do, and I'm selling beer and cigarettes to people. And God said, you know what? You just keep doing what you're doing, and I'll take care of it. In three years, he did take care of it. I was out of that business. But I would cast this vision, and because of my past, because of the things that I had done, people would say, you're not qualified. You can't do it. It won't happen. It'll never work the way that you think it's going to work. The vision that you're casting, Randy, what you're telling me that you're seeing, it'll never happen. Let me tell you where God said it was going to be. God told me all along it was going to be right here. It was crazy. But anytime you have vision, there are going to be people that are around you who will tell you, you know what, it's simply not possible. And I knew it was going to be hard. And I knew it involved those two things. I knew it involved vision and passion, and I knew God had gifted me that way. And God knew that I had the passion to see it through, even in light of all the negativity that people were going to sling in my direction. So that's my hope for you. That's my prayer for you. My prayer is for you like it was for me, that we won't settle for less that we won't walk away from the things that God has called us to, that we won't walk away from the things that we love simply because it's too hard or because people are mean or because they don't see what we see. We that have the gift of vision, we have the ability to see things that other people can't see. Think about it. Whether it's songs or sales, acting or accounting, Doctor or teacher, my prayer is that I hope you do the things that you love. Because listen to me, Crossroads. It's easy to be a critic. Amen? It's easy to tear other people down. It's easy to tear other things down. But it's a braver thing to build, to create, and to surprise. So this morning, if God has given you a vision, if God has given you a calling, if God has said to you and spoken to you and told you there's something that you need to do, that you need to step out in faith, 
Let me give you something that I believe will help you. Don't wait. Don't wait until you've resolved all the issues in your life. See, that's the thing that keeps most people from following the things that God has given them to do. Don't wait until you have resolved all the issues in your life. Because that's an element of fear that a lot of people have. And one of the things that people will say is, you know, I'm waiting, Randy, until I resolve all the issues or until I feel like I have everything in my life right so I can move forward. Once I have everything where it needs to be, then then I will step out in faith. Then I will trust God. Then I will do what God has called me to do. But I want you to look at 1 Samuel. Because in 1 Samuel, we find a very interesting verse. Saul, the first king of Israel, was told by the prophet Samuel that he was going to be made king. And Samuel was going to anoint him as king. So the day comes when Saul is about to be anointed as the king of Israel. And when that actual anointing was going to happen, they're looking around and they can't find Saul. Now think about this. Samuel was about to anoint him king. But they're looking everywhere. And as they're looking everywhere, they can't find the guy who's going to be anointed king. They can't find Saul. So they asked the Lord. They inquired to God, where, where is Saul? And here's what it says in verse 22 of 1 Samuel chapter 10. So they ask the Lord, where is he? Oh, this is powerful. And God replied, he's hiding among the baggage. Where is the man who's about to be anointed king? They said, he's hiding among the suitcases. He's hiding among the trunks, the suitcases, the baggage that's actually used for luggage. Let me ask you, where, where are you hiding? You know that God has given you something to do. You know that God has called you to take a step of faith, to trust him, to do something. He's given you a vision for something. You know what I think many of you are doing? You're doing the same thing that I did for so many years. You're hiding among the suitcases. You're hiding amongst the baggage. Because we've all got baggage, don't we? Can we just admit that this morning? Do we, do we all have baggage? We've all got baggage, don't we? As a matter of fact, some of you are probably going to remember, I did a series around that very idea, which I'm probably going to revisit this summer. Because so many right now are finding ourselves hiding amongst the baggage. Because we all have baggage. I mean, think of the baggage that you have in your life, where you came from. What was done to you. The things that you've done to yourself. 
experiences, circumstances, offenses, conversations, the baggage, rejections, abuse. You know one of the things I'm finding? That one of the common things that many of us share is that we have been sexually abused. It's so prevalent with so many of us. Somebody did something inappropriate to us, with us. And we carry that baggage with us. We hide amongst the baggage. We hide because of them. We hide behind them. We hide amidst, amidst them, and we hide among them. And we become paralyzed by what we see as baggage. So what do we do? We don't step out. See, here's the thing. Some of you are not taking that step of faith, that step of trust, because you, 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 think, you look at your life and you say, my life is such a mess. I've got I've to clean up this mess of my life. And then once I have everything cleaned up, then, then God can use me. Once I have everything together, then God can use me. Then I can take that step of faith, and then I can do the thing that God has called me to do. But hold on to that thought, because I want to go to Matthew chapter 28. Here's what it says. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, now look at what it says. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But look at the next three words. They worshiped him, but even as they worshiped him, some of them doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I want you to think about what we just read. Tim, go back to like the second verse. Or when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. In, in what we just read, Jesus has given what I believe is the most important assignment to people in the history of Jesus giving assignments. But think about this. He gives this assignment to people who are not even sure that they believe. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I 
I mean, think about that. Let that sink in. Because some of you this morning are so worried about all the things that you've done. Some of you are worried. Some of you came to church because of something you did last night. Some of you are worried about all the things that you've done in your life and the things that have happened to you in your life. But you need to know God has always used people who have baggage. Because that's all he has. That's really all he has. Is people who come to him with baggage. That's all he has to work with. Now think about it like this. God has always used the ordinary people to do extraordinary things. So here's what I want to tell you. Don't wait. Don't wait when it comes to taking that step of faith. Don't wait until you feel confident. Because the Bible is full of people just like you and just like me who struggled with confidence. Anybody, got, anybody in the room know a guy named Moses? There's a storyline. God had given Moses a dream, the vision. The desire to see his people, the Israelites, freed from Egyptian slavery. Look, look at Exodus 3. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. Go where I send thee. I'm going to see... I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? That's just rain. It'll be okay. <laughs> and God said, I'll be with you. You know what rain is? Rain is a sign of blessing. So God is blessing us right here this morning. And God said, I'll be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Do you understand? Do you see what's happening? It's fear. He's starting to get fearful of what's going to happen. This is the place that he starts asking a series of questions. Well, well, what if? What if this happens? Or what if that happens? Or what if they? Or what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? We've been there. We've all been there. You've been there. I've been there. I was there this past week. This is exactly the place that some of you are right now. Some of you came to Crossroads this morning and on the way to church, either by yourself or with your, your, your friend or your, your husband or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or with your family. You had all of these questions running through your mind. Even this morning as you're on your way to Crossroads, you thought, what's going to happen? What, you know, what if I don't lose weight? What if, what if I can't stop drinking? What, what if our marriage doesn't get any better? What, what, what if we continue to go into debt? What if, I, what if I go to the job interview and they don't hire me? What, what happens if I lose my job? Again, we've all been there. What if, what if, what if? It's the thing that most of us are going through, or if not, we're not going through it now, we're going to go through it. And it's the place that Moses finds himself. But let's go back to Moses. 
In Exodus 4, verse 1, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? There are the what ifs. But look at verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have been eloquent. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? This, this, this will show you that God will always listen to you, but don't argue with him. Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, Moses. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. It's one excuse after another. And let me tell you what Moses is saying. What Moses is, is saying is the very thing that many of you are saying. I, I can't. I'm not ready. There are too many things wrong with my life. I have too much history. In other words, Moses is saying to God, I have too much baggage. Let, let, let me shift gears so that you understand, so that you grasp what I'm saying. One of the most common questions that people ask me is, Randy, how do I know I'm ready? How do I know I'm ready to step out in faith? When do I know that I'm ready to take this step of faith and trust and actually step out of my comfort zone? When do I, when do I know I'm ready? And I'm going to tell you the truth about you because it's the truth about me. When it comes to you being ready, when it comes to me being ready, when it comes to us being ready to actually step out of our comfort zone, li listen to me because you need to hear this. When it comes to the truth about you and I being ready, we'll never be ready. We'll never be ready. You're never really ready. The truth about you is when it comes to being ready, you'll never be ready for the most important, most challenging parts of your life. But here's the thing. God loves using people who aren't ready. Do you notice how that rain picked up when, it's, when I said God loves using people who are not ready? In the Bible, when God calls somebody to do something, again, correct me as I'm, if I'm wrong, as far as I know, God has never gone to anybody and that person said, I'm ready. Great timing, God. You came to me at just the right moment, at just the right time when my tank is all filled up and I'm adequately prepared. I really don't know anybody in Scripture who really was over emphatic about, hey, I'm ready. I, everything in my life is right. It just doesn't happen. Because here's the thing. The truth of the matter is this, if you want to step out in faith, if you want to make an impact, whether that impact is big or small, then here's the thing you have to recognize, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because God is going to call you out of your comfort zone into places that are uncomfortable.
and you say, I don't understand that. I'll tell you why you don't understand that. The reason you don't understand that is simply because all of your growth as a follower of Jesus is going to come, not all of it, but the majority of it is going to come at the end of your comfort zone. For you to truly grow as a Christian, you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to step out of your comfort zone. To make an impact, big or small, you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Have you ever wondered why those guys that, that walk on a tightrope carry a pole? I did a little research, and I hope you can understand this. The, the pole actually increases the tightrope walker's moment of inertia. The, the, the downward bend of the pole actually lowers the center of gravity. So when a, when a tightrope walker, like that guy who went across the Grand Canyon, when a tightrope walker walks uh, and carries a long pole, he actually increases his moment of inertia, both by increasing their total mass and by increasing the average distance of the mass from the, the rotational axis. So the, the tightrope walker leans into, he depends on that pole. A tightrope walker carrying a long pole has a larger moment of inertia. Therefore, he needs more torque to start rotating off the rope. See, the tightrope walker falls if he or she stands rotating around the rope. So with a pole in his hands, those small imbalances, those small torques, those are less likely to cause the tightrope walker to fall because, again, he's leaning in to that pole, which allows him to lower his moment of inertia. In other words, that, that pole counterbalances all of the forces that actually might throw the tight, walk, right, tight rope walker off. They might lose their focus. There might be a gust of wind. They might get a cramp. And without the pole, any of those things that I just mentioned might actually cause the tightrope walker to fall off the rope. It forces you into something shaky. You, you, you have to lean into the pole. You have to depend on the pole. The same thing when you step out in faith. You have to lean into God. 
you have to depend on God. When God's given you a vision, when God's given you a calling to do something, you, you're not on that tightrope walk by yourself. You're actually depending and you're leaning on God. You know, I want to do something. I, I, I actually, you, you guys know that I'm a big journaler. And I've encouraged you to get a notebook, journal the things that are happening in your life. And here's the thing I would say this morning. You may be here and, and you, you, you may be a Christian. And you know what? You may be here and you may not be a Christian. You may not follow Jesus. You may, you may be skeptical because of the way Christians act sometimes that there even is a God. And you know what? If that's you, if you're skeptical of Jesus and who he says he is and the things that he says he will do, let me just tell you, you could not be in a safer place. Amen? Because we want to help you understand who he is. And that he is who he says he is and that he will do everything that he says he will do. So one of the things that I would encourage you to do, follower of Jesus or not a follower of Jesus, journal what's happening in your life. On a daily basis, just, just journal the things that are happening to you, the things that you're going through, the health issues that you're going through, the, the conversations that you have with coworkers and parents and, and, and children and, and, and at work, and just, just the things that you're, maybe, maybe if you're a follower of Jesus and you're praying, write down the things that you're praying, the things that you believe that God is speaking to you. Because it's important to go back and look at God and what he has said to you and the things that have happened to you. And I'm going to tell you, I guarantee you that you will see how God has supernaturally moved in your life. I had a journal entry that I think applies to today. If you're a note taker, this is probably worthy of taking a moment and writing this down. And the journal entry was what I feel versus what I know. I mean, that's pretty simple, isn't it? What I feel versus what I know. And in my journal, I had, print, I, I, I had printed out, I feel scared. I feel alone. I feel overwhelmed. I feel vulnerable. I feel exposed. But what do I know? What I feel versus what I know. What, what, what do I know? I know I'm not alone. I know God is with me. I know God fully knows me. He knows the baggage of my life. And regardless of the baggage of my life that I want to hide behind, you know what? God still loves me. I know he's never left me, nor has he ever forsaken me. I know he calls me to step out of the boat and he calls me to step out and to take that step of faith, to take that step of trust and to step out on the storm he sees. And I know that if I fall, that if I stumble, that God's going to be there to pick me up. And it reminded me of Isaiah 43. And here's what it says. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Do not be afraid, for I'm with you. 
So here's the thing. When you, when you step out on that wire, like a tightrope walker, when you trust, when you try, even if you fail, when you try, let me tell you, you're not alone. You don't go alone. In anything that you do, you don't go alone because you're never alone. That's the reason why I think we need to understand that the promise from God is not that we're not going to have fear. The promise is not, is not that you're going to have a life that is free of trouble and worries and challenge. But the promise is this, that he will be with you in the midst of your fear. That's the promise. Would you bow your head with me this morning and pray? God, what a promise. What a promise that we can hold on to, that we can grasp, that we can really understand that it's, it doesn't take a biblical theologian to understand that, that you have promised no matter what we go through, no matter what we attempt, no matter what step of faith that we take, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And in the darkest times of life, even in those times where we, we feel like we have failed, you have promised that you'd be with us. You've promised that we can walk forward in faith, knowing that when you walk alongside us, that God, even you make the darkness tremble. God, would you do that in the life of every person in this auditorium this morning? Would you do it in the life of every person who is joining us online, whether they're in California or Kalamazoo? Be the difference maker that they need, knowing that they can take a step of faith, that they can trust you because you take the ordinary people and you use the ordinary people to do the extraordinary things. And we don't want to be just ordinary people. We want to be extraordinary people doing extraordinary things for our God. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this time of worship. As we ask this prayer in Jesus' name, amen.